Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory, where, Brett, we have entered in the pregame season for the holidays. We are post-Halloween. We are pre-Thanksgiving, which is all just getting ready for Christmas. This is the time of year where you feel like you should be productive, but you're a day away from a day away from a day away from packing it in, just like Manchester United. So I'm sure (laughs) we'll get more to that as we get into this week's game. But first, how are you doing right now, Brett? I'm doing okay. Uh, finally, the 90 and 100 degree days in Arizona are done, so I'm enjoying that. Uh, I'm super nice that like two weeks ago in late October, I was still dealing with 100 degree temperatures. Global warming is going to be fun, Toby. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, other than that, you know, just uh, you know, you know me, I'm a huge Saudi Arabia fan, so there's some uh, some great news for me then coming out of that. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, we're setting the clocks back this week, so it's nice of FIFA to set back society about 200 years by what they did in the last couple of days. They what a segue. We overboard gotta, on this. you got to start charting your, your segues because you, 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 you have some award-winning segues. I love them. I don't, I don't know who's giving out awards for that, but I certainly hope it isn't FIFA because I don't have enough money to buy one. Uh, <laughs> So let, let, we do have to cover it a little bit, right? Like we are a soccer podcast. Yeah. I know we focus on wagering in the Premier League and our new uh, super fun study abroad segment. But we nobody like loves the World Cup more than us. If, if you could go back and check the receipts from how uh, emphatically we covered that in, in Qatar or Qatar last year. And the announcements that have been coming fast and furious in the last few weeks from FIFA are just frankly dispiriting, Brett. Like, I don't know how you fully feel about them. And I know I have a little bit of a cynical vibe to me and you probably like take that a little bit too far but what the hell like this is the beautiful game this is the greatest sporting competition in the world and the first thing they do is do this really like weird three continent thing for 2030 that on its face doesn't really make any sense outside of the fact that it's just for sponsors and to set up for 2034 and so i thought they would at least let the smoke clear a little bit it's like, hey, we we broke the window, we cased the joint, but we're going to come back and rob it later. But no, like a couple of weeks later, here they are basically announcing that Saudi Arabia is getting the 2034 World Cup because FIFA has gone out of their way to clear out all competition. Uh, so I have some thoughts, but I'll go ahead and let you share yours. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, like a redundant thing with whenever this happens. I mean, you you mentioned it pre-show and we talked about it briefly. It's just like follow the money. You know, at this point, the only thing that's surprising me is like, when is FIFA going to like hire like Elizabeth Holmes and like Sam Bankman Fred? Like, when are these people going to start coming on? Because corruption is the name of their game. Uh, you clearly see the influence of the money behind this, but it it's just upsetting. Like, <clears throat> They have such an amazing product. Like, I think the thing that that strikes us as fans, like, we know how the world works, but, like, you have this amazing amazing product. It's it's so pure. You mentioned it, I think, when we were uh, the first couple episodes before we were uh, recording for the World Cup. Like, it's such a pure, amazing product. And FIFA is just finding ways to just dilute it and make it worse and weirder and, like, to try to get us 
to just not have any emotion or enthusiasm for it. Like, obviously, in 2034, if we are not, you know, stabbing each other for fresh water, um, we will, you know, we will still tune into the games, right? Like, you know, we, you and I will for sure. We're, we're sickos. But like, it sucks that we got to feel like we almost got to like dredge ourselves into doing it now. Like that's, that's the thing that I think gets at me the most is like, I want to have this, this beautiful event to look forward to and like see the optimism and and the hope and like the good things that it can bring to the world and communities. And it's like, now we just got to go in with like a heavy sigh and be like, oh yeah, you know. So what, 2034, Saudi Arabia World Cup. Woo, here we go. Well, you got to give them points for creativity. Like after Russia and Qatar, like the controversy that followed the 18 and 22 selections and the pure and utter, like clear corruption and bribery that happened out of that, they at least got creative this time, right? Like they had to manufacture a three continent solution for 2030. So the rotation rules kick in and then it was just them. It was just basically Australia and Saudi Arabia left. And then Australia mysteriously bows out. So I wonder if they're going to get a major competition soon and or bags of cash are about to wash up on their shores. Um, so you do give them creativity that it's less like quid pro quo as the last time where it was just literally cash for votes. So they, they at least get that. Um, and thinking about this, I mean, you've mentioned this a couple of times, Brett, and like I, I've done a lot of my backstory, but you've mentioned I am a lawyer. And uh, when I came out of law school, I found myself doing what's called FCPA work, which is the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. And what that has taught me, and I think it's really um, prescient here on an American show talking about the World Cup, is just how common corruption and bribery is worldwide. And so, like, in America, we we prosecute these cases, we defend these cases, there's laws that are pretty stringent about it. But what I found frequently when I was practicing was that the defense of any of the bag men that ended up getting you know, caught in justice's snares was this is just the way it works throughout the world. And so I think it can be a little bit jarring to us. Uh, because we like to think that it's not the way it works here in the shores. But this is important to remember that this is the world's game. This is the world's game. And this, in a lot of ways, is the way the world works. And so at some point, you just have to kind of throw your hands up and say, yes, by our standards, the way we view this, like this is completely abhorrent, while the rest of the world is probably just like shoulder shrugging and say, hey, what can you do? This is the way it's always been. Yeah, I mean, you know, the there is a book uh, that's pretty good that's on my queue of things to read. Uh, but I've listened to the author. I'm I'm gonna butcher his name, Oliver Bulla, uh, I think. Uh, but it's called Moneyland, and it basically talks about what you were doing, the work you were doing as a lawyer, like where all this hidden money goes and how it influences politics in ways that we and corporations in ways that like we don't account for. But you know, I mean, it, it's just. I think the the thing I always and I, I don't mean to like keep circling this point, but it's like it always ties back to we all use sports as like kind of an escapism from what you like, like especially with your work. Like you're you're in the trenches doing that kind of work, and then you go to soccer, right? To like have your little bit of like reprieve where you can yeah and it's like and then now now you can't like you can't even like pretend to ignore it it just gets shoved in your face so like i i feel for for that like and that's the thing that disappoints me it disappoints me like me personally i feel bad for for people like you that like see your work the things that you've had to deal with and the things that you fight for just basically like then go and corrupt the other things so it's like this kind of sucks it just it's 
We just need a win, man. Like, but, but I mean, it's not, it's not uncommon. I mean, I'm sure you watched the FIBA documentary on Netflix, but the thing that stood out to me, like, like immediately was like Sepp Blatter was just coming on and basically like sort of proud of like all the shady and scumbaggy things that he did. It was like, there was no remorse. Like if I was him, and I would like had any self-awareness. I wouldn't just be interviewing and being like, yeah, I like stab that guy in the back to get his job. A totally normal thing for people yeah. to do. You know what I mean? So it's like, we shouldn't be shocked. Uh, but I mean, you and I will, we'll figure out ways, I guess, to probably get around it and find some way to enjoy it. Yeah. And don't feel bad for me. I am an ex lawyer. So it's not like I'm still fighting those battles and things like that. Um, and you're right. I mean, Look, I, I guess the point I'm making is at some point you just have to set the right expectations for FIFA and they'll never fail to deliver yeah. on them. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that we're seeing just more evidence of that. And I don't think it's ever going to change. I think what's really interesting here, Brett, uh, personally, is what was really in this for like South America. So, like, I understand Africa has only really had the one in, um, World Cup in South Africa, and I think Morocco is going to get a decent number of games. I haven't seen, like, the absolute permanent final plan, but it seems like South America might only get three games in the whole tournament, like one for each country. Maybe they get a handful more, and according to the rotation rules, they completely take themselves out until, like, whatever it is, what, 2046? Um, 2042, I forget exactly when they can actually host again for three games. So I think like if you're really following the money, I think we have to keep an eye out on what happens in South America. Like what did they get out of this besides three World Cup games? Or are the rotation rules like wink, wink, nods, nod? We're changing those. And after we use them to leverage um, Saudi Arabia as the only option for 2034, there's no longer going to exist. And Europe and South America and everybody else will be re-eligible to host again starting in 2038. Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of those things where, like, uh, the rotation rules will get changed if, like, Bolsonaro goes back into power in Brazil. And then Brazil all of a sudden is going to get a World Cup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I think it's one of those things where, yeah, that's how the rotation rules work now. But, uh, you know, grease the wheels enough, get the right situation going. Hey, rules are your rules are meant to be broken and changed, baby. Yeah, well, I mean, what's what's kind of interesting from the American point of view is if they don't change them, America or Mexico is going to host in 2038. There's, it's like yeah. only us in Australia and New Zealand that are left that are eligible. So, yeah. I mean, we, we might be seeing another World Cup just 12 years after we host in 2026, which is would be nice for us, I guess, but it's not really the way I want to do it. And it's the world's game. I think it should be spread more around the globe. So, I don't know, man. Uh, the timing of it's also obviously pretty horrible. Like they did this a year early, earlier than they really had to. Uh, then, you know, what's going with what's going on in both Europe and in the Middle East on like the battlefront. It's just, it's bad. It's bad form, but what else can you expect? Um, I think you said, I think you said it perfectly. Uh, if you set the lowest bar possible for FIFA, you can never be disappointed. (laughs) Well, that's actually not true. You probably still can. They will find, you could put it like in the ground if you dug a hole 45 feet deep and they'd probably find a way to get under that bar yeah well what i said was adjust your expectation accordingly you'll never be they'll never fail to meet them you're putting the uh low bar in there but you're not wrong uh all right i'll tell you what doesn't have a low bar is a great slate of premier league games and an excellent trip down to germany for a battle between dortmund and Bayern, which we will start covering right after we give caesar some love
You know, when the conversation turns tampers, I always go with my number one as Caesars. Let's talk about them a little bit, shall we? Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns rewards credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using this code. Listen up. Omaha full the word Omaha and the word full. And then you place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. If you keep those winnings, but if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and over only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. New users and first $10 plus wager only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager. Returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start gambling problem. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or West Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Okay, Brett, now to sunnier skies, which is ironic a way to describe England where it never seems to stop raining this time of year. And hopefully it does not rain in London on Monday because we are in for a treat, which is Tottenham first of 26 points. Versus Chelsea, 11th at 12 points. This game is Monday at 3 p.m. at the end of the long weekend. Spurs are plus 115. Chelsea is plus 220. The draw is plus 260. Spurs minus a half a goal is plus 115. And the Chelsea double chance is minus 140. So, Brett, let's start with Spurs. Um, first of all, I saw something about Hugo Lloris returning. Vicario has been really good in goal for them. Yeah. Lloris is done in London, right? Like, this is a non-news story. 
I mean, I, <laughs> oh, I don't even want to say this out loud. Um, but Statsbomb uh, released their new radar format. And so their their Twitter feed has just been uh, new stats, new radars. And uh, the idea of a washed Hugo Lloris uh, playing uh, one of or, or replacing one of what might be the most impactful goalkeeper outside of Allison in the Premier League right now. Man, it would be a hilarious act of self-destruction if that happened. Yeah, so let's root for it, but I think Cooler Heads will prevail. He, he's he been really good, and so I didn't even know about the stats bomb data, but just the eye test and the results, obviously, they're top of the table. So yeah, and I, I would now. like to thank you with the fact that you I, I gave you that because I, I was sitting there pre-show, and I was like, man, should I tell him that like the last day all I was doing was spilling the stats bomb to our feet looking at radars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can tell me. It's a safe space for you. Uh, so is it I know. Though? Is it though, Toby? Uh, yeah, I mean, I tell you that so I lull you into a self false sense of security <laughs> so I can hit you harder later. Yeah. Uh, so I know as a Chelsea fan, it sounds like sour grapes going to the rivalry game. But Brett, Spurs are so freaking lucky. Yeah. They looked so listless the entire first half against Palace, and they get a fluke goal off a of Madison cross that bounces off a defender and straight in. The Sun goal that followed up after that, there's no shade there. That was a great team goal. But then they give one up to Ayu in extra time and should have given up a second immediately thereafter. Immediately. I leave every single game I watch unconvinced by their play, yet they are top of the table. And have you seen SBI lately, Brett? That you're, I know you're so busy with stats, Bob. I don't know if you're looking at it. Have you looked at the soccer power index and see where they have Spurs globally? I, I have not. No, I, w- I was... Take my- a guess. Top of the table in the Premier League. Take a guess where they're ranked I mean, if, 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 right if now. You're talking about the top of the table, best league in the world, and reactionary rankings, I would say top five. They're 43rd, Brett. They're 43rd. Oh the underlying stats do not lie. This is completely and utterly unsustainable. According to 538's Soccer Power Index, they are the 11th best team in England. Yet somehow they have 26 points. Oh. They are so annoying. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think a lot of that is going to be probably the way those models are built. Um, still pretty heavily relying on last year's data. Um, but I mean, again, it's like you're talking, I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say they're not lucky. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's very clear when you look at the um, expected goal difference per 90, that this is a team that's getting lucky and it shows you how dumb and random the sport of soccer is like <laughs> Chelsea's expected uh, goal difference per 90 is 0.69 Spurs are 0.52. One team is talking about firing their manager with 12 points. The other is first with 26. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is this is clearly a case of running hot. And, uh, you know, the, the question with Spurs at this point isn't are they a title contender? Isn't are they for real? Like and and again, we don't need to be black and white here. Like it's not lucky and 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 unlucky. Spurs are better and lucky like they can be two things, but they are not this good. We shouldn't be talking about them as a title contender, but they have banked enough points on the basis of their luck that we have to make sure that we are including them in the conversation for the top four, because even if XG comes for them, and we know, as we've stated, that other than Messi, XG comes for everybody, and Marcus Rashford is feeling that pain right now, um, that this team is going to crash down to earth and if Chelsea can chill the F out, 
they are going to come up from where they're at. So it's it's such an interesting uh, thing that these teams are meeting at the points that they are because it is like this is where process-oriented thinking is going to give you an edge as a better, right? Like you have one team that if you're looking at the results and uh, or two teams that if you're looking at the results seem completely different than what they actually are. So this match actually gets me kind of excited as a better, not only because I also think it might be a good soccer match as well. Well, I mean, Spurs aren't the only team that's annoying. Chelsea's annoying as well. They follow up their bright <laughs> play against Arsenal with another stinker against a team they should beat that really helps you cash and beat me last week. We'll get to that in the five pint. Uh, Palmer and Sterling have been bright spots, but Jackson is absolutely not progressing, and they are heavily rumored to be back in the market uh, in January for a striker. I guess once you're at $1 billion, what's 1.1? Like, let's just keep this going, see how long it could go. Without Enzo last week, they were completely lacking in creativity outside of Palmer, but Enzo did play midweek. Reese James started once and Cuckoo comes back in the next couple of weeks. So it'll feel like the cavalry has arrived. And ultimately Chelsea's problems have been dropping buckets of points to lower teams, particularly ones that play a low block against them. And they won't have that problem against, uh, against Ange and company, given that they have not even played anything resembling a low block the entire season. So if they're going to come out and play an open game, uh, the Chelsea team has been pretty good in games where the other team tried to trade punches with them, like Arsenal, like Liverpool in the opening. And as I'm obviously unconvinced by the Spurs, and the Spurs have weighted the uh, odds here at being the favorites, I am going to go ahead and take the Chelsea double chance at minus 140. As I feel like 78, 80% of the time, this game ends with Chelsea getting at least one point, making me feel good about that odds. Plus, it is a rivalry game that Chelsea has done very well in, both recently and historically. And I cannot live in a world in which we lose this match. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, in a uh, weird, well, actually, I can't remember how this actually ends up turning out. We haven't really tracked the most recent ones, but I, I did bet against your Blues last week. And even though you had, and you'll go over this in the five point, a stellar week that that win did help me. But <clears throat> this it this this underlying process oriented thinking has me staring at plus two twenty on the money line for your Chelsea team, Toby, and diving in. I'm taking them nice. on the money line. Um, I think this is a good matchup for them because, uh, you know, part of the thing the underlying numbers don't tell is I think Chelsea's only had four players that have started every match for them. I don't even think Sterling. Yeah, actually, I'm pulling it up right now. Sterling it hasn't even started all 10 matches for him. So, so there, you're talking about a ton of interchanging with the final pieces of a starting 11. Fullbacks have been hurt. Fullbacks in the modern era are massively huge, important pieces for your team. Um, and so if, if James is back, I think that's going to be a, just a huge boost because you're getting just such a massive upgrade at such a crucial spot. Enzo being back and the style of game, I think, is going to help them. I think for them, the trickiest part for them is if they really have to peg a team back and try to play against a, 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 a low box is not a good suit for them. Enzo in some space with some runners ahead of him, which Chelsea have Sterling with some big spaces to go one-on-one with people. I think this is a game where they can, they can actually make some, Hey, it's going to help them create easy enough chances that they hopefully this time for your sake will convert. So I'm not only taking them on the money line, I'm actually taking the over of one and a half goals at plus plus one fifty as well, because as we've seen Chelsea, 
Not in the for, match, just for, for Chelsea. Chelsea. Yes, for Chelsea specifically. Thank you. Um, yeah, because as we've seen with some Spurs matches, uh, they can go off the rails, especially when they're actually playing a good team against them and not just like peppering some poor sucker of a club like Burnley back in their own third. So I, I'm all in on Chelsea, Toby. I don't know if that makes you feel good or bad or what, but I'm all in. Well, I mean, if Ange is really going to continue his, like, I give no Fs and I'm going to go at it no matter who's on the other side, then um, Ster- like you're over one and a half. Is, you're getting good value for that. And there's also really good value in the Sterling anytime, a plus 275. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the Mudrick anytime is like plus 400. And with the speed out of the wings that yeah. and the space that's going to be allowed and like Spurs coming forward, especially like Pedro Porras are playing like a maniac. Uh, on the attacking side, if Mudrick has the opportunity just to run past him going back the other way, he's going to get a fast break. So I think both of those anytime odds are really good. Although I am going with a Spurs bet, believe it or not, for my Ooh. prop, which is the half of the first Tottenham goal, second is plus 210. And so I covered this a little bit last week. It did cash for me last week. Tottenham has now scored in 10 straight second halves. Um, the, as their press wears people, people down, as teams start to make a couple of mistakes, as they hit them really fast on the counter and their conditioning continues to win out, even though they're rolling out the same front four every game, those guys don't seem to be getting tired. Um, but Chelsea's been really good in the first half. In the last two months, the only league goal Chelsea gave up in the first was to Burnley, believe it or not, in a game Chelsea ended up winning 4-1. to one. So they could keep it together for 45 minutes. Maybe even 60. The last 30 have been dicey for Chelsea, and that's when the Spurs excel. So put the two of those things together and getting plus 210 for a blank first half and then a second half goal seems like excellent value. Yeah. And I mean, I think the one thing with the Chelsea injury turnover, too, is like, what does it hurt the most, right? Your your depth, your subbing, yeah. right? So I think that idea of tilting Spurs the advantage late is a really good one. Um, I this is trendy. I would be very tempted to tell that bet, Toby. Plug. <laughs> All right. For the show. Cool. All right. Well, uh, it's it's one of the games I circle on my calendar every year, so I know what I'll be doing Monday. Hopefully, you guys will join me. I'm, we're actually wearing the, sh- the um, sweatshirt I bought at Stanford Bridge when I went and saw Chelsea and Spurs play a few years ago just for this Darby edition of Covered in Glory. There we go. So, we got commitment. one. Uh, what's that? I said commitment and professionalism right there. Repping, uh, repping the Darby, that, the Darby sway. I'm wearing a Wisconsin Badgers that. T-shirt, even though I don't have any like connection to that team anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so let's move down to the other premier matchup this weekend, which is Newcastle six at 17 points versus Arsenal second at 24 points. This game is Saturday at 1:30. Arsenal is plus 150. Newcastle's plus 190. The draw is plus 220. Arsenal minus half a goal is plus 135. Newcastle is minus 180. So, Brett, these guys had uh, pretty opposite experiences midweek in the League Cup with Arsenal crashing out. They heavily rotated, but then they threw all their stars on when they were down 3-0 to West Ham late in the second half. Like, doesn't make any sense to me. It's so weird. You either care about it or you don't. Why throw the guys on when it's already out of hand? Uh, On the other side, Newcastle just destroyed 3-0, a struggling United team that I'm sure we're going to talk about more here in just a minute. 
Uh, Newcastle's been really up and down, also destroying PSG and Champions League and then struggling to take care of Wolves just a couple of weeks later. We got really excited about Newcastle early in the season when we were suspending the Spurs and moving Newcastle into the big six in their place. But we haven't talked about them a lot in the last month. So how do you view this Newcastle team right now, Brett? This is such a tough question, man. I am stuck in a weird place with Newcastle. On one hand, I feel like this is one of those situations where you can look at the numbers and all that kind of stuff. And then you do have that subjective thing of like, this team is just playing collectively over its skis right now. The other thing is, Eddie Howe might be a wizard. And yeah. with the ability to turn Sean Longstaff into an impactful Premier League player all of a sudden. So this is a weird place. I'm in a weird place with Newcastle right now. I really don't know which of these things is true. I look at this roster. It doesn't impress me outside of maybe a couple players. I mean, I know you're a big Dan Byrne guy, but he doesn't do it for me. Um, so it's like I, I don't kind of get how this team is what it is. Anthony Gordon's been a little bit better since he's come over from Everton. I mean, part of that is natural aging curve stuff. Almiron had an amazing year. Callum Wilson is like in his 30s, pulling a Mikel Antonio from a few years ago, kind of aging backward out of in his prime uh, or uh, when he's out of his prime. So it's like I don't understand how these pieces are adding up to the performances. And I think it's either we have to accept that Eddie Howe is a turning into a, a diff one of the very few difference making managers or we might see a newcastle team crash at some point because these players are just kind of playing above their ability level right now um yeah. and and I, I do think with this game in particular it's going to be interesting to see because stylistically this game i think arsenal's the better team but stylistically this game favors newcastle because where Newcastle struggles is like when they actually have to like control 60% of possession and they are going to be more than happy to let Arsenal control the ball and then break into space where I do think their players, their big physical midfield runners, their attackers do really well. So this one was like a really tough one for me to handicap. I couldn't get away from just the fact that I don't trust Newcastle. Like I am not ready to live in a world when you are like, Brett, who are your top five managers? And I got to put Eddie Howe in there. So I am yeah. taking Arsenal on the money line to plus 155. Uh, I don't know where you're at, Toby, but please save me from this this dark spiral. Well, the Tonali suspension really changed the way I view Newcastle. And I know you, I was higher on him than you are, but like while they have all these bags of riches, they haven't spent them to give them depth yet to replace such an important piece to their midfield. And I do look forward to him coming back from suspension and then FIFA suspending 400 other Premier League players so Newcastle could win the league at least by 2034. That'll be that'll be pretty clever. The, the new uh, era so, of soccer is it. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I agree that this was a tough selection, and I felt I, I felt very tempted by the coward's way out. But Newcastle oh. hasn't found themselves in enough draws 
to make 220 feel like good value. Yeah. I think these teams are a little closer than we think of them or we cover them. But without Tenali and with a banged up Isik, I'm going to have to also trust Arsenal to take care of business with a quality opponent, just like they did against City and Sevilla. I know Arsenal are without Jesus, but the rest of their attackers seem ready to roll with Martinelli looking good in his return. Uh, hopefully Saka gets a little bit more back on track. But they also have Rice and Odegaard in the midfield and Newcastle don't. It feels like too much for Guy Maurice to deal with on his own. Don't trust Joel Linton to be that big of a uh, contributor. I think they will miss Tonali. And so overall, I am also going to have to go with the Gunners on the money line here. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that I that I looked at, too, um, in my stats bomb uh, radar viewing yesterday <laughs> was Declan Rice. They, they've changed some of the things. They've added a lot of... Um, a lot of weight to like defensive actions that don't that aren't just rooted in quantity. So a lot of typical counting stats. Like if you play for a team that doesn't have the ball, you're gonna have more tackles, you're gonna have more interceptions, and stats bombs are is changing the methodology methodology to kind of um, add more weight to players like Declan Rice who play for a possession-heavy team, but still do a lot of really crucial defensive breakup things. And needless to say, you and I subjectively have watched him play. He's settled in extremely well, and we've we've noticed his impact on their ability to prevent shots. So the radar just was more of like a confirmation, I think, of what you and I were seeing yeah. in our eyes, is that he has transformed this team with his ability to cover ground, win the ball back in key moments, help them pin opponents deep. So I am still super bullish on the, on this Arsenal team, even though David Raya is under some fire and Ramsdale has been benched and all the stuff that's been going on with the goalkeeping. They're still a really good defensive unit. Um, I think score. Okay. I was going to say the the rice thing is interesting, right? Because I, I know last year, you know, you, uh, you weren't as big into him as, as you might have been otherwise. But uh, when you watch these guys internationally, like when you watch Enzo with Argentina, and then you watch Rice with England, you can start to see how they can lift the quality of their play based on the quality of players around them. And that's how like guys like Rice and Enzo turn into somehow $100 million bargains. Now, there's a $100 million bust, don't get me wrong, but it is very interesting to watch guys like Enzo and Rice specifically uh, break record fees but be worth every single penny. Whereas like somebody like Havertz or Mount, those two come to mind immediately. We're also sold by a lot of uh, money, but don't come anywhere near the value that, that they were uh, bought for. And so I think, I think it's great that when the hundred million, the 120 million guys actually work out and it's horrible when they don't, but it is an example of, you know, a finishing piece making a huge impact on a quality side like Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the thing that was always tough to project about Rice was he played in that Moyes compact defensive, you know, passive system. Um, so his counting stats look really good, but like we didn't really see how that would transition to a team that had the ball a lot. Uh, but it's clearly worked out well. And I mean, the the other side of this is I am a, a new or a West Ham truther this year because they are just allowing teams to just walk through into the final third in their penalty box because guess who's gone? Declan Rice. Yeah. So like this is one of those things where like you are getting evidence on both sides of that transfer to see his impact. Um, and I think that's that's kind of a, like you said, it's kind of a nice thing to to see a player like actually like come through and sort of 
live up to his expectation of a huge transfer fee. Um, I mean, Enzo, Enzo, I think we, for, for some reason, I think we always had, uh, and I, I'm not saying we probably as a soccer community uh, had a collective, you know, optimism that he was going to be fine. Rice was a little bit trickier, but it's been yeah. cool to kind of see a, a piece added to an important team and kind of keep them churning. And then because of his impact, I mean, a big thing that I'm a believer of is just that they're a good defensive team. So the under, of 2.5 goals at minus 115 was appealing to me because I don't trust this Newcastle team to necessarily pile up a bunch of goals this match. And Newcastle also typically, especially when Botman is healthy and he, and he, I don't think he's going to be back for this match, but they are another really stout world-class defensive team with a world-class shot stopper, Nick Pope, who can single-handedly save games. So this seemed like a perfect matchup. You mentioned the coward's way out. I was almost there as well. So 1-1 is a huge range of score lines. Nil-nil is a huge range of score lines. 1-1 either way, 2-nil either way. All those things are heavy in the range of score lines. And so I think you do get pretty good value at the under two and a half. Uh, we don't trade picks ahead of time, which is obvious in moments like this where I have almost the exact same thing for the exact same reasons. Um, so first of all, let me say that I like when signings work out like Enzo and Rice. Well, Enzo less than Rice in terms of team as uh, team winning, but I, I like when like teams go for it and a reward for going for it, which encourages more people to go for it, right? Like I like that the Rangers won the World Series last night after they've had some major free agent signings the last couple of years. I like that the Rams won the Super Bowl after they uh, went all in with a bunch of trades. Like I think it's just good for sport to see investment rewarded. Um, and in terms of investment for this game, I'm also on the under for almost the same reasons. I mean. They both have big uh, Champions League games coming up midweek. Are the managers really going to go for it and buckle down? Or are they both going to try to grind out something like 1-0 either way? And I know it's counterintuitive because these are actually two of the three most prolific offices in the Premier League in terms of goals per game. Uh, and Arsenal haven't gone scoreless the entire season. But in big matches, both sides do tend to tighten up a bit. Both had played 1-0 games versus City. Newcastle's playing games in the Champions League, you know, 1-0, So I also agree about the score lines. I think the most likely score lines are 1-0 either way or 1-1. I'm not sure we're going to see nil-nil, but you're able to get most of the most likely score lines on a coin flip odds with 2-1 being the only one that scares me. So I just like the range of outcomes versus the value you're getting here. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, perfectly. I mean, a much more elegant way of stating it. So that's good. And yes, we do not trade picks ahead of time. We that trendy, we do. Covered in glory. This is all you're getting everything off the cuff, yeah, right? You're here, get, people. You're getting everything here. But I will tell you what is not eloquent, Brett. And that is the performance of Manchester United, <laughs> who we've been waiting to talk Segway about. Segway right time. There. We got another one to add to the list. So we have Fulham, 14th at 12 points, versus Manchester United, 8th at 15 points, Saturday at 8.30 a.m. United is plus 110. Fulham is plus 240. Caesars has the draw at plus 250. United minus half of goals, plus 100. Fulham is minus 30. And oh, boy, Brent, do things fall apart quickly. I was so freaking confident in my picks in the Manchester Derby last week that I even brought them over to Trendy for the very first time. I felt I saw that game so crystal clear and was right. And then United followed that up with a disastrous showing in midweek in the League Cup. Their first choice 11 right now, Brett, seemingly has Maguire, McTominay, Johnny Evans, and Victor Lindelof in it. 
Uh, at least that's who started the big derby last weekend. So my question to you. Uh, you forgot Amrabat. Oh, well, how could I forget? <laughs> how could you, uh, how, how could you forget that, Toby? How could I forget? I'm watching that game for 90 minutes and never seeing him on the pitch. Are we watching a team, Brett? Are we watching a team entering a pure free fall right now and we can profit on that descent? Or is it as simple as Casabira, Ron, and Shaw returning this month and that'll right the ship? No, I mean, look, Casemiro's legs look like they were gone before he was out. Um, I mean, we we mentioned this, like we talked about this in our preview. I like to pat ourselves back when we actually kind of get stuff right. But we mentioned this in our, uh, I think in our preview show, we uh, we talked about how this United team was extremely reliant on Marcus Rashford taking a huge leap into being a top five attacker in the world. And Casemiro at 31 somehow looking like he was 25 again and just an elite defensive midfielder about to enter his prime. And we both kind of thought like, if you're going to bet on things, because we are a betting show though, betting on both those things, were not going to continue to happen. That is, that is really what propped that team up last year was Casemiro's performance playing way above what we expected as age curve and the minutes under his neck legs and Rashford running extremely hot against his expected goal total in which he has regressed this year because XG comes for everybody. Um, so, I mean, I, I think we, we saw that this team was capable of, of hitting this type of low. I think we, I was not, I personally was definitely not impressed with their depth. And as you mentioned, like the, the now look at what they're resorting to. I mean, I know that the injuries of the fullbacks and stuff is a little unfair, but like they're genuinely looking to play Scott McTominay as like a support striker at this point to try to find goals. Yeah. Like this is where we're at with Manchester yeah. United, Toby. Well, I I just love British announcers. I, I bring them up from time to time on shows. I love them so much. Before the last game, at the end of reading out the lineups, the announcer in the match said, today's team selection would be most politely described as curious, which is such <laughs> awesome phrasing. and basically makes him like a Def Jam comic in Manchester, that that's the meanest thing a British person can say compared to what you and I might let loose on them. And I really want to dance on their grave, and I've been happy to do so in the past, as it's always really fun. But Brent, uh, I got to admit something. I kind of hate this Fulham team. <laughs> I think even decent teams tend to blow them off the pitch when I'm watching. And with Fernandez, like United is still decent, right? Like they're decent. Like that's the standard here. Are they decent? Because Casemiro did come back midweek and we'll see if that gives them the bump they desperately need. You've mentioned how old his legs look from time to time. And Mountain Rashford, at some point, they have to get their crap together and start contributing in a meaningful way. I just I didn't know what to do here. If there was like 15 other Premier League teams and the odds were set in accordance with that Premier League team versus United, I, I would have gone the other way. But with Fulham, I don't feel like I can do anything else besides hold my nose and grab the plus money with United. Oh, my God, it feels gross. I want to fade them, but I can't with this team. Toby, uh, this is the first time ever that I've been disappointed with you. <laughs> you oh, wow. You've, you've been hurt, paying attention. You've, You've hurt you've hurt me by taking United here. Uh, no, I mean I definitely get the reservations for Fulham. Like you know, we can talk maybe all we want about how uh, a warning sign for United was you know spending about eighty million pounds on a 
a striker in Hoyland who was barely playing for Atalanta. Um, but Hoyland would also be Fulham's like best and most exciting attacker by eight country miles. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do get the reservations. I am just so down. This this team is broken. You're getting the reports of the locker room revolts coming into this too. So and also. Uh, because I am just a huge candidate for the recency bias and stats bomb radars, uh, have a incredibly newfound respect for the defensive impact of Polina. I now I'm completely understanding why Thomas Tuchel was trying to get him. Uh, they the new methodology that stats bomb was using. I mean, they they hit it in their caption. Uh, Jal Polina is out here to break up attacks and chew bubble gum, and he is all out of bubble gum. And his radar on the defensive side is full tackles, interceptions, ball recoveries, you name it. Um, so I think he has stabilized Fulham a little bit defensively. He missed, I think, the first match or two, and then he had the, the huge transfer saga. But since that is, uh, has kind of been erased, and, and I think he got his new contract, they have really stabilized defensively. And I just think United is a dumpster fire uh, in defense. Like, I mean, I, I just, I I would trust Sheffield to score. I mean, and look, Sheffield like was playing them toe to toe. I don't know. You didn't, you're not a sicko. You didn't watch that game. I had a, 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 a daily fantasy sports stack in that one. So I was watching that game, but I mean, Sheffield did go toe to toe with them and, and Fulham is better than Sheffield. So I have Fulham on the money line. But I guess my way of maybe rationalizing taking Fulham at plus 240 is I do think there's going to be goals in this match. And uh, Bruno Fernandez is not only their penalty taker, but I do think this is a match where he is not going to give a crap about his defensive responsibilities. He will be making runs into the box. He will be taking free kicks. He will be gunning anytime he's within 25 yards and has a, a ability to get a shot on target. Uh, he was plus 275 as a scorer. Uh, anytime scorer. And I just had to take that number with the penalty equity. I, I do think that with the way that Fulham kind of traps and presses passing lanes, there is the ability for that run into the box, that ball, that trip, that penalty call at the edge of the area. United seems to have this weird knack of always exceeding like luck in terms of drawing penalties. So I think between Bruno's gunning, and I think between the penalty equity, I'd love the plus 275 number. And it still does fit in a 2-1 type Fulham win. So I'm all there. How dare you say I'm not a sicko? I could watch Sheffield just like anybody else. <laughs> and I see this game uh, completely different than you, obviously. So this will be a fun yeah. one. Uh, I'm going with both score no at plus 105. So I don't feel there's going to be a lot of firepower in this match. And Polina being on one side is helpful in that. It feels far more comfortable to me than backing United like I just grossly had to do a few minutes ago. Uh, Fulham seems lucky <laughs> to score virtually every game as they are 18th in the league and XG created. And yeah, even though the United yeah. defense properly scares the hell out of me, you're getting a plus number here. So you just have to keep that in mind. It is a plus number that this, this team that's 18th in XG can't even score on the Maguire-led defense. Uh, if they were solid, if Manchester United was a good defensive team, this number would be much worse. So I'm just trying to take advantage of the odds here. And I'm also not writing United down in ink to get on the score sheet either with you basically relying on them getting accidentally tripped and converting a penalty <laughs> as your best <laughs> argument for how they're going to create a goal. Um, so with their struggles in front of net and they're also bottom half of XG created, this seems like really good value for one set of fans to go home bitterly disappointed, which is like slipping into a warm bath for this generation of United fans. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think one of the things that would play into your bet and the, and the reason that this one was a little bit hard for me to kind of come up with some numbers that I liked was um, what what are we going to see in the starting 11? Are we going to see that that United midfield that has like Anthony and McTominay and Amrabat and Bruno like as an eighth? Or are we going to see one where like Bruno's at a winger and Mount's in? Not that and the announcers actually shredded Mount really good. I can't remember mm-hmm. it was the last United game I watched, but they were like, you know whose name we haven't said in a while is Mason Mount. And the color guy's like, who? <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly played into it. I loved it. Uh, it was like a coordinated bit there. But um, yeah, the I, I, British announcers are the best. They they really are. Um, and I, I, But I do think that, that the starting 11 will matter. I actually would be really... Um, inclined to take that both teams score no bet if I do see that like Amrabat McTominay thing because this this United team is also at a point like that 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 Rafa Benitez thing where it's like you have a blanket that's too short for you so if you pull it up to cover your head because it's cold you're going to leave your feet exposed you pull it down to cover your feet and your face is exposed like they they are either going to have to play a a lineup that is going to help them get a goal or they're going to play a lineup that is going to help protect them defensively they can't do both so yeah. I like my Fulham bet and I like the Bruno bet if they go for it a little bit, if we see a little bit more of an attacking setup, if we see that like McDominay <laughs> double pivot, I love your bet. Yeah. Well, there is a team that can do both, Brett, and it is Manchester City. They are third at 24 points versus Bournemouth, 17th at six points. This game is Saturday at 11 a.m. City is minus 1,000. Bournemouth is plus 2,500. The draw is plus 800. City minus two and a half at Caesars is minus 120 on a giant adjusted line. Bournemouth is minus 110. And oh my goodness, is this one going to get ugly? Bournemouth are really dreadful in most elements of the game. Uh, They're deep down in the table in both XG created and XG allowed. And they just lost 3-0 to freaking Everton. So it's hard not to take City on any single line that they post. And the more I watch Bournemouth, the angrier I get about Chelsea's nil-nil draw against them. But given that (laughs) Bournemouth has only scored one goal in four matches now against the historical Big Six this season, I don't fancy their chances to do anything against a City team that now has both Rodri and Stones available in the midfield with Diaz, uh, Josco, and Walker behind them. They're basically, Brett, playing five defenders and five attackers in a borderline 5-0-5 formation with both sides of sharing midfield responsibilities. And let me tell you something. I am completely here for it. It is pretty ingenious and fun to watch. The consolation goal is my only question mark here as it is in every city game, but they easily could have the four goals on their side necessary to cover the event anyway. So I am taking them on the adjusted and then on the prop market, the win to nil is now basically an auto bet for me as long as Roger and Stones are both available. But since that is only minus 160, I'm going to adjust it up by taking City over 1.5 and Bournemouth under one, um, sorry, under 0.5. So two nil or higher for City, which gets you to a more palatable minus 115. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing saving Bournemouth from being almost a shoe in for relegation uh, at this point is a. All the promoted teams, uh, except maybe Luton Town, are pretty terrible. Um, and Everton might get hit with a 12-point deduction to leave them at minus five points. <laughs> so those two <laughs> things uh, are definitely working in Bournemouth's favor to stay up. But I think in most years, with a semi-competent uh, promoted team, 
this is very much looking like the third favorite to go down. And the Tyler Adams thing was a huge blow for them. He is a good player that is a key that is a key skill set. As you mentioned in their 5-5 five, five formation, they just don't have anybody that can help them slow down attacks or control the game at all in the midfield at this point. Uh, they sold Jefferson Lerma. He was that kind of player. Um, and it is, let's just say, not worked out well for them. And that's never a good sign when I'm sitting here going, yeah, selling Jefferson Lerma didn't work out for you guys. Weird. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, the, the, the thing I, I, I would say with this is that this match is tricky for me because I'm not totally trusting the city attack yet. Um, but I couldn't go anywhere else other than the minus two and a half. And I just kind of was like, listen, we've kind of fallen off. I mean, I wouldn't say we've fallen off, but you know, we're not on the Holland hype train anymore. But the dude is still averaging three and a half shots a game at 0.22 expected goals per shot. That means literally is a one in five chance of of scoring every time that he shoots a soccer ball, which is bonkers. Uh, His performance the the other day got him above his XG total. He was actually underperforming going into his last match. He's an absurd, this is an absurd number for two or more goals, Toby. It's plus 150 for a player to score not once, but twice. But I'm sorry, I just can't. I looked at the anytime list and I was like, yeah, that number kind of like looks good still. And so I'm going to well, do you it. have to, right? Like I'm not off the hype train. It's just like yeah. if they're going to listen at minus 330 on the inner time, like what are we doing here? Like yeah. That's, yeah. Not, that's not worth betting. So you have to do what you're doing to go brace or higher, or you have to talk about somebody else for every once in a while. So it just makes it sound like you're not in on Holland when I absolutely am. No, no, I'm not is- saying you. I That was a collective, like, you know, when he was struggling, like the conversation was like, oh, he's not the same. He's not like lighting the league on fire like he was last year. It was not, not a Toby thing. It was a, the general you. Well, I mean, Messi deserved the Ballon d'Or that he won because of his run with Argentina, but like Holland's going to win the award. (laughs) It's just a matter of when, like if he does it as the record shattering, if he doesn't do it as the record shattering goal scorer for a treble winning side, like it feels like, you know, he was kind of robbed there, but you can't really not give it to Messi. So he's just going to have to win another treble and break a bunch more records. And he has the opportunity to do both. Yeah, well, Jude, um, Jude Bellingham is standing in his way though a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. It's it's is it's interesting. This this formation is so like fascinating to me. I know like Walker is historically a fullback, but they basically just said like screw. You said earlier like modern fullbacks are so important in the modern game, but then last week they're like, yeah, I know like there's a trend to start playing wingers at fullback and give them defensive responsibilities. What if we just gave that to other defenders in the midfield and the guys who are creating width on the offensive sides are some of the best attackers in the world, like Phil yeah. Foden? It's like, yeah, okay, well, uh, let's watch that. Well, I mean, the thing that they, they did, too, is they just pinched Walker in as, like, a third kind of center back. And then Bernardo Sova was, like, basically a left back in the last match. Yeah. So, and, I mean, it's – I think it's cool. I mean, I, I think that I think this is where I would love – I mean, I know you're not a huge fan, uh, and we've talked about this at Liverpool, of, like, McAllister at the base. But I do kind of like the idea of just put more technically good players out there and see what happens. Like, you know, I mean, I think the margins will stay the same, like in terms of goal difference per game, but I think like, I'd rather see more games one at four, three than a two, one. Right. I, well, yeah, but they don't even have to make that choice here at four, three or two, one. When yeah. They Roger do and Stern's playing a double six and like just yeah. dominating that section of the field. Yeah. It's like, uh, 
the old joke um, many, many years ago that the best three-man midfield in Europe was uh, at Chelsea. It was just Conte and Matic. Like they were the best three-man midfield. Like now we have Rodri and Stones that are the best like defensive lineup possible, and they're just two midfielders. So yeah. I, 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 I didn't rotate them out this week. We rotated Liverpool out just because after the derby, I knew we were going to talk about them anyway. But I just I love watching them. I love seeing what Pep is capable of because it's not like other managers. It's like okay, this is my lineup for the year, and this is what we're going to do. Like all of a sudden, as more personnel become available to them, and some personnel are out, like KDB, it's like okay, how can I rewarp modern soccer yet again in the way I want to imagine it? Yeah, I mean, it's like we again, we talked about this. I'm, I'm pimping our preview episode here pretty heavily as well as trying to get us a stats bomb sponsorship. But um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's definitely one of those things that we mentioned there that every year, you know, seeing what Pep is going to come up with, like what a Sistine Chapel is going to be this year. Right. Um, and and I, I don't think we've seen that yet, which is kind of interesting. Um, but I mean, we get these little glimpses of these weird tactical t- tweaks that do work for him, even though he sometimes gets panned for ones that don't. Um, and I, I mean, it's just fun. It makes, I don't like it. They're like city are weird to me in the sense that I don't actually really like enjoy watching their matches that much. Like I'd rather watch Liverpool go nuts and Brighton go nuts. Cause you know, I'm just throw a shiny object at me. Give me some goals and some balls going up in the pitch. I'll watch some Bundesliga, whatever. Um, but like, they are a fascinating team to just watch evolve in the long term. Uh, that's what always is really interesting to me about City. Yeah. Well, you just admitted to it, and it is our last match. You do not want to watch City. You do want to watch the Bundesliga. So we are going to head that way right after this last break. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, everybody. We are back. And as promised, we're heading down to Germany in today's study abroad. And we have the best match possible on the German schedule most years, maybe not this year, but most years, which is Dortmund at home, fourth, 21st points versus Bayern Munich, second, 23 points, Saturday at 1.30 p.m. Munich or Bayern München, if I was saying it in the native tongue, is minus 140. Dortmund is plus 320. The draw is plus 320. Caesars has Munich minus half a goal and minus 140. Dortmund at plus 110. 
God, I love the Bundesliga, Brett. Watching Bayern go down a man in the fourth minute, then have the other team say, hold my stein, and proceed to take two red cards in the first half after be given this absolute gift of gifts. It's just, nah, it's a chef's kiss. And then to watch Bayern score eight goals in the second half in a 10 versus nine match that looked like high school soccer that was still somehow <laughs> being played in the world's most famous stadium on ESPN. Like, I swear after the seventh goal, you heard in the background, and I'm not even making this up. I swear I heard the PA announcer after the seventh goal say to the whole stadium, aye, aye, aye. Like it was like some 70s sitcom. They should actually replace the announcers in these games with a laugh track. That is how much fun they are to watch. I absolutely love it, especially when in the very next game for Bayern, something called Saarbrücken knocks out them out of the domestic cup at the death and fires essentially break out in the stands. So, Brett, after all that, I only have one question. Are we covering the wrong league? We might be. Uh, I mean, that is like... I, I'm literally, I was trying to think, too, uh, what is the craziest two-match stretch for a team that you can remember? <laughs> and I think a 10-verse-9 goal fest followed by losing to a team in the DF uh, in the DFL, uh, DFB Pokal that was uh, their, thir- their 15th in the third division, <laughs> Toby. <laughs> they scored. They scored. Both their shots on target, they took four total. They scored on two, and one was in late extra time. Like, it was like, isn't that like I'm trying to think of two matches for a club that jump? I'm, I'm usually pretty bad at this, so this is you might remember better than me, but like, I can't think of like a crazier back to back set of storylines than what we've seen from Byron here. Like, it's just. Yeah. It is amazing. It was, it was, I mean, it's part of the reason why, like we were, we were very obviously depressing at the beginning of the show, but like, this is why we do love this sport. I mean, like those two things that can happen in the span of a freaking week are awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Not even a week, just like three or four days. And if you gave me time to prep it, maybe I could come up with one, but I mean, come on. Sarbrooken, Sarbrooken just beat in a domestic cup in a goal in the 96th minute. It was so crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was such like you're tired of the scene. If, if people uh, pause the podcast, go to like ESPN FC soccer feed and go back and find that if you are if you had somehow missed it. It is awesome. Like if you can enjoy that clip and like have a little smile on your face then I guess soccer is not the sport for you because man, I watched that. I sent it to you immediately. Like it was, it was from my Twitter to to my earphone in case you had missed it in like two seconds. Cause I was like, dude, this is why we love this stuff. Um, So, I mean, it's great. I I think like the fun part is, it's like, it's Bayern. It's, it's always fun to see this team. that has been a giant in the Bundesliga, like have this huge, massive setback. I think that's always like, there's a little bit of Schadenfreude to use some German language here in that too. But like, again, the fact that, so, I mean, I have their table up. I was waiting for this. I've had their, their table up. I'm not joking. They are 15 in the third division. <laughs> that's yeah. a, they have a they have only a plus three goal differential in the third division. They just took down Byron. It's such a cool story. I think it's gonna it, it makes you wonder what the f is gonna happen against Dortmund this weekend, Toby. 
<laughs> what the F indeed. And I know we talked about Byron a lot when they took on Leipzig. Uh, Dortmund is basically just a finishing school for Ballon d'Or winners with future favorites, Haaland, Bellingham, and Pulisic coming through their ranks. They're in a weird position now. They're being led by prime to late prime players like Julian Brandt, Emery Khan, Mats Hummel, Marco Roos. Uh, what can you tell everyone to expect out of Dortmund here in Dark Classiker? Yeah, I mean, this is just not the uh, the Dortmund that you're used to. Um, you're used to, I mean, uh, the, the Dortmund that I always loved, um, you know, the hipster soccer team when they when Klopp had them was you had Royce and then you you had, um, oh, I'm trying to think of his name, uh, Gotze and all those guys. Uh, they were such a fun, like attacking team. And then Dortmund took on this identity of like every good young prospect was going to come up through the ranks with them, lead them somewhere, you know, make them exciting. They had these deep runs in the champions league. And now it's like, you have a couple of guys that I guess are young prospects. I mean, Gio Reyna's there, but he's not really playing. Uh, Adeyemi's there, but he's kind of struggled. Uh, Daniel Mellon, uh, you know, the Dutch forward, is, is he's only 24, but, like, he's not the guy that you're, like, talking to your buddies about. Like, hey, did you watch Mellon play? Like, he's amazing. Like, you got to go turn on this game. Um, so they, they kind of have, you know, just a bunch of really solid kind of mid or late prime uh, players on this team and they're still anchored by Matt's Hummels. He's an institution there, but like Nicholas Fulkrug and I'm, I'm going to out myself here with the story, but when he came on for Germany, I legitimately was like, who is that dude <laughs> in the world cup? <laughs> and now, I mean, now he's like a guy that's like pretty much kind of, I think their first choice striker. It's hard to really tell with this group, uh, but he started five of the seven matches that he's played in. So, I mean, this just isn't the same team. It, it's, it's kind of a bummer. Like you, you really, I think for the health of the league, the fact that this Dortmund team has kind of lost their way in terms of, trying to get to, together these collections of exciting young prospects for a one or two year stretch was good for the sport. It was good for the, the Bundesliga. The fact that they're not that anymore is kind of a bummer, but they're a solid team. Like they're not a pushover. They're not on their way out. This isn't like a Manchester United situation with them, but Byron is definitely coming to this game as the much better team. Yeah. And I know they just suffered an embarrassing defeat in the Pokal, but Byron, as you just said, are definitely the better team right now and have flat out dominated Dortmund domestically for a long time, winning nine of the last 10 matches with the only one being a draw. Uh, they always get up for this match because they know deep down it's one of the only few that matter each season. And I expect them to do it again. Harry Kane already has 12 league goals. And with the way he's going along with Sané and, and, and um, Musiala, I think they walk this one. And minus 140 isn't nearly enough juice to scare me off personally. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was right there, too. I, I took them on the money line as well. Um, I mean, I think it's easy to kind of get caught up in the big loss. But, I mean, they still completely dominate. Like, they outshot that team 18-4. to four. Like, again, it's just like soccer is weird and lucky, and you can't just go off one game <laughs> as a sports better. You know, you have to kind of keep in mind that just, like, really weird things that look terrible are not always going to be these huge warning signs. Um, and the other thing to remember, too, is, like, the Harry Kane, Leroy Sané duo that Byron is rolling out is extremely impressive. Um, yes. I think Sané is kind of faded from memory. You know, he had that that really good season at City, and then he kind of fell out of favor. And then, you know, when you kind of go to the Bundesliga, it's like everything you do gets discounted. But Sané is still really good. Like, in these two as a pair, 
have been really, really impactful. They they average about seven and a half shots a game. They lead the team in goals. Uh, or I mean, they're they're the top two in the team in goals. Like this is a super um just impressive attacking duo. And I don't think Dortmund just have the ability to withstand the amount of, of chances that those two can create. Um, but the one thing I will say is that because of the fact that they have played these wild games, <laughs> I would actually not be surprised if Dortmund jumped out first, just kind mm-hmm. of like with Byron being in a weird like days of like what just happened in the last four days with us. Um, so the come from behind win for Byron was plus 575. Whoa, um, is it really? Yeah. Uh, and Holy I haven't know it's written down, so I didn't screw yeah, this up. I believe it. Um, so this one really seems uh like a good bet to me. I mean, I, I don't I'm not a huge fan of like trying to dive into a team psyche when I'm not like in the locker room or know anything about it, but you have to imagine they play this wild game with red cards. They have this a really weird, like intense midweek match in which they lose to a third division team. Like they gotta gotta just be like, man, I, it's like it's like when you have a long week at work. It's like I just can't wait for the weekend to put my feet up on the couch. But instead, they gotta go play Dortmund. So I definitely just feel like this is a prime setup for them to start off a little bit slow, get behind by a goal. But I do think the overwhelming talent that they have on the roster is gonna win out. That is a very interesting number. I was even surprised to hear it was that high. Um, for my prop, well, I'm going to give out two because just if we're going to talk about the Bundesliga, I don't care what two teams it is. I almost don't care what the odds are. <laughs> blind over on goals. Blind over. Caesars has three and a half at minus 115. I am in for that. Um, and then the Kane Brace. Harry Kane Brace is plus 295. Okay, He already has three of these in his first nine games. I like him in big games. This is the first time he's got to play in uh, in Dark Classicer here. And he also gets penalty equity because I think he'll be the taker for them. So if anything is clear about watching the Bundesliga is that he's going to get chances in this match. And he's really on four right now. So I like him to bury him. And I think you're getting a good number for him to score twice. Yeah, I I mean, look, uh, he is you're taking one of the world's best goal scorers in the world's best league and dropping him into a league <laughs> that we jokingly say has attacks going the other direction. Um yeah. so I do feel like part of me thinks that even though he has obviously been incredibly impressive to start, I kind of also feel like we haven't seen like top tier Harry Kane yet. In the Bundesliga, it's, I feel which is like, crazy because he's got yeah. twelve and nine. He's yeah, got twelve and nine, and we're like, yeah, he can be better. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I really thought that we could see a crazy. I mean, look at what Lewandowski was doing at Bayern, right? Like, he it was like yeah. forty goal seasons, basically, right? And so I, I kind of look at Kane. I'm like, you know, he's not doing that. <laughs> when is he going to start doing that thing, right? And I mean, he's he's there. He's 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 been impressive. Like, don't get me wrong, but I do like that bet because he has been really good but there is just something especially when i watched him in the champions league where i'm just like is he slowing down or are we just not have we just not seen him have one of his harry patent and harry kane thing stretches where he scores like 10 goals in four matches yeah well he had three last match so maybe it's coming uh so brett let's just wrap up with the five pint you mentioned at the very top of the show we ended up having a great collective week last week 
the final week of October, you and I combined for 21.5 units on 10 wagered, which I'm pretty sure is our best week of the year. And oh, it's it largely, to thanks to, <laughs> largely thanks to the Manchester Derby. But yeah. once you hit that four to one on Brentford, there was no way I could catch you and you deservedly won the month. So congrats to you, sir. Thank you. Um, now we are into November. Contest starts anew. So I am going to go with Chelsea on the double chance at minus 140. The half of the first Spurs goal second at plus 210. United, Fulham, both score no, plus 105 after our big disagreement there. City over 1.5 goals with Bournemouth under 0.5 goals at minus 115. And then Bayern on the money line at minus 140. What big swings are you taking this week, Brett? Uh, I have learned the wrong lesson from Brentford uh, because I am actually <laughs> going to take the full money line at plus 240. Uh, sure, I will regret that within five minutes of that match. Um, I I just can't get away. From, I, I feel I feel like cities in every one of our graphics, but I just can't get away from that. Um, I'm going to take them at the minus 2.5. I, I mean, I just I can't. Uh, just I can't get away from taking city. It's just it's like a it's like a weighted blanket of five pint bets for me. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to to take the Chelsea money line and the team goal total of over one point five. I have a lot of pints wrapped up in your Chelsea team. And then I'm going big, the big swing. Byron, come from behind and win uh, plus five five seventy five. So I uh, I have a couple of big swings here. Big full money line. Big come from behind thing. Could be a great start for the month. Could be an awful start for the month. But I do have to say, uh, if anybody has been following our bets or takes our bets, uh, I really hope that last week was not the week you were like, F these guys, I'm fading them. Because I could not believe that Toby was as close as he was despite the week that I had. So I really hope we helped people make some money because that that is probably a 99th percentile week for us. So it might might only be downhill from here, folks. (laughs) Well, high variance bread is back. And when you're riding good on that variance, you're riding really good. So um all right well thank you everybody for listening we will be back again next week i forget what our study abroad segment is but i'm sure we will have one in the meantime please check out the rest of the shows on the network i've been doing trendy all week with jed piacenti we wrapped up our world series coverage but still have one episode left sure there'll be a lot of football americano talking that but i don't know i might carry one of these premier league bets over because that is my weighted warm blanket of bets as i know this league i think better than just about anything else also make sure you check out the 15 minute pregame show and um what everything's happened on minus three and extra points as well as waiver wired and lemon pepper parlay and after brett warmed me up the entire time talking about how good my segues are i could not find a way out of this episode i just started rambling so let me just go ahead wrap this up say join us next week where we'll have our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis take care everyone